Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. Hello and welcome to Book Dreams, a podcast for everyone who loves books and has ever wondered about them. I'm Eve Yohalem, and I'm a children's book author. I wrote The Truth According to Blue, which is coming out this May, and Cast Off, The Strange Adventures of Petra de Winter and Brom Broen. And I'm Julie Sternberg, also a children's book author. I wrote Like Pickle Juice on a Cookie and its sequels, and the Top Secret Diary of Celie Valentine series. In each episode of Book Dreams, we investigate a book-related musing, something we're curious about that has something to do with books. In this episode... I have to say, Julie, I'm so excited about this episode. <laughs> we often do episodes about things that we've been thinking about or wondering about for a very long time. This episode is different. In this episode, we're investigating something that I at least had never heard about until maybe a month ago when you discovered it and, um, yes. and asked me about it. And that is bibliotherapy. Had you heard of bibliotherapy before you mentioned it to me? No, I mean, only momentarily, because I received in my inbox an email from Penguin that linked to an article called Seven Dream Jobs for Book Lovers. So, of course, Ah. I mean, of course, I opened it up. Yes, say no more. (laughs) No more. I was so taken with bibliotherapy, which was one of the jobs listed as a possible episode for us, that I kind of forgot the other six, but I think we might have to do all seven. I was hugely excited because the idea of therapy that doesn't feel like the usual therapy, which can feel so hard. You know, the idea that you would go to someone with your problems and they would say, read this book, it's going to make it better, was so exciting to me. (laughs) It sounds like it's too good to be true. Yes. So we instantly started researching and trying to find someone who we might be able to talk to. And many, many, many roads led to Ella Bertude. Why don't you give us a few words about Ella? Okay. Ella and a co-author named Susan Elderkin wrote a book called The Novel Cure, an A to Z of Literary Remedies. Ella and Susan both studied English literature at Cambridge, and then Ella went on to become a painter and has a degree in fine art, but together she and Susan co-founded the Bibliotherapy Service at the School of Life in London, and they've been practicing as bibliotherapists for a number of years now. I reached out to her to see whether she would be willing to conduct a bibliotherapy session on air, and she said yes. Julie, you reached out to Ella, and then you and I talked, and we decided that you would have the therapy session because I would feel way too anxious trying to monitor our recording and get therapized at the same time. And (laughs) and then that would be counterproductive, right? Because my anxiety levels would spike. But usually the way these therapy sessions work is Ella gives a, a new client a questionnaire that's all about their reading habits and what they love to read and what they don't love to read and all all different kinds of questions. And then there's an interview, either in person or virtually. And then after that, she takes a couple of days to follow up with book recommendations based on their conversation and the interview. And I gather the way she presents those book recommendations is very lovely. We didn't go through the whole process. You had your therapy session and she made recommendations while we spoke. So it's a little different here. I was watching some videos with Ella after we did our interview, and here's how she summarized bibliotherapy. She said, 
I'm a firm believer that fiction can see people through all of life's ups and downs. When you read a novel, you inhabit the novel. You actually become the characters in the novel. By experiencing the things that the characters experience, you go through catharsis. You go through enormous empathy. You know that you're not alone. I just love that. I love it too. And I love the idea that while doing something I love to do anyway, I'm doing something productive for my mental health. Yes. <laughs> bonus. <laughs> bonus. I also want to add that although Ella was too modest to mention this herself, she can read while hula hooping. There's a video. Yes. We will link to that video in our show notes. And in my opinion, it's a superpower. The last thing <laughs> I want to mention before we go to the interview or the therapy session is that our recording quality isn't great. Ella was calling from England. Julie was calling from her car, as she is now. And it's just not ideal. But I hope that it's not distracting to anyone who's listening. We began our conversation with Ella by asking her to describe how she became involved in bibliotherapy. And then after that, we turned to Julie and Ella and their therapy session. We used to discuss how it would be really great to become book doctors when we grew up and <laughs> how we would love to prescribe books to people to get them through life's ailments. So we used to prescribe them to each other at the time when we were at Cambridge. We used to leave books outside each other's doors in a brown paper bag as a kind of cure for whatever trauma we were going through at the time, whether it was heartbreak or inability to write an essay. I or... needed you. <laughs> Heartbreaks. <laughs> I know. That was how it all began back in the day. So we kind of thought it would be a really good therapy. And we hadn't heard of people doing it before. So we discussed it a lot at the time. And vaguely tried to do something about it but both ended up doing other things and then one day we met Alain de Botton when he was at a party and he was talking about starting the school of life which was to be a kind of home of ideas and therapies and philosophy and we proposed to him the idea of having a bibliotherapy service and we then evolved the way that it now works before we get deeply into the therapy session, Julie, can I ask you, what were you thinking at the beginning? What were you feeling going into this? You mean about the prospect of going onto the hot seat and having a therapy session for all of our podcast listeners? Pretty much. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say, I don't think I really thought through in advance <laughs> the public <laughs> the nature of this. I was so excited about the idea of just a bibliotherapy session in general. But I'm a pretty confessional person, so I had a little bit of resistance momentarily, but I quickly overcame it. I'm guessing that Ella's first question for you was something you were delighted to talk about. Oh, yes. Here's what she said. So tell me about your relationship with reading. I have read and read and read and read my whole life. We had a lot of kids in our house. My mom had four kids in four and a half years. No, no, wow. she just kept having babies. So it was a bit of a noisy house. So I would sit sometimes on the bathroom floor in between the bathtub and the toilet because that was a quiet place. I would read under the covers at night with flashlights when I was supposed to be asleep. I would actually go to sleepovers and read when I should have been playing with my friends. So I read and read and read. And then I think one of the reasons I became a writer was 
that I had a job as a lawyer and I missed having the time to sink into other kinds of stories than my own. And so reading and and now writing are really a huge, huge part of my life. Fantastic. And when you were a kid and reading away, finding the space and solitude within the madness of your family, did you ever read as a family? So my dad would choose a quote or a a poem or a passage from Shakespeare or something, and he would read that every morning at breakfast. Do you do that with your own kids? I do not. (laughs) (laughs) I did used to, you know, I would read to them before they went to sleep every night. And I don't remember my parents doing that with us, but that could be unfair. That could just Mm. be a failure of my memory. I took a more personalized, I guess, approach to reading. That's interesting. Yeah. But the reason I was asking about reading aloud as a family group is because it's one of the things that we bibliotherapists really urge people to do, to read aloud either as a family, even when your kids are older, like teenagers or even 20s, if they happen to be at home with you, which lots of people are at the moment, or as a couple. I think reading as a group, reading aloud as a group, is something people tend not to do nowadays because it it seems quite an old-fashioned Dickensian activity. But in this time of excessive screens, it's a really great kickback activity where it's a way of all coming together as a family and sharing something. And I would really recommend either short stories or reading a classic children's book such as The Wolves of Willoughby Chase. Yes, um, my favorites. One of my favorites. Yeah. Which I like that idea. Book. I'm going to try it and I'll report back to our podcast listeners about how my family That would be brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to hear how you get on. And actually, another one to try, apart from a, a good old childhood classic, there's a great book of short stories called Sum, S-U-M, by David Eagleman which is 40 short stories, and they're only about three pages long. And all of them are philosophical, playful ideas, which are really fun to read. They're actually quite funny, and they really make you stop and think about life and why we do what we do. I love that idea. I'll try that. That sounds like a good length to start with, and I like that they sound thought-provoking, and the humor is always good, too. That sounds great. Yeah, good. So have you ever kept any kind of reading notebook? No. I keep track of what I've read on Goodreads. I've done that for a few years now. And I like having record of what I've read, but I, I, I don't do more than that. And I almost never say anything about the book on Goodreads. And do you actually remember what you read clearly? Or do you find <laughs> that it kind of gets a bit blurred when you move on to the next book? It gets a bit blurred, usually, unless it's a book I really love. Yeah, so that's why I would urge you to keep a reading notebook. If you were to get a physical notebook, which in itself should ideally be a beautiful thing that you like as an object, then when you finish your latest book and you're feeling that sense of sadness and loss that you're not living with those characters anymore and you've got to say goodbye to them, That's when you should pick up your reading notebook 
and devote one page of the notebook to the book you've just read and write down the title of the book, the author, the place you were when you read it. So if you read it on holiday in Florida, you'll picture yourself reading it there and it will bring back memories about your holiday there at the time. Or if you read it during lockdown in 2020 (laughs) in your house, you'll remember that feeling of being cooped up and it brings back memories of the book. And then you also just write down a few lines about the book. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Did you find the narrator annoying? Do you wish that character hadn't died? Were there any resonances with you and your life? Did one of the characters remind you of your mom or ex-lover or someone from your life that was interesting? I love that it will help me remember both the book and parts of my life because I could use help with both. (laughs) So that's great. That's a lovely idea. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, do you keep any kind of journal anyway, like a diary? No, I'm the kind of person who wants to keep a journal and never succeeds. It would be so fabulous to have journals from prior times in my life. So Yeah, so this (laughs) is a good way of doing that because it is a kind of journal of your life as well, but just through the lens of books. Julie, if it's not too personal, can I ask why you didn't continue the tradition that your dad had started reading aloud to everybody at breakfast? To me, that sounded like such a lovely thing. Uh, My own ritual growing up was drinking a chocolate instant breakfast and eating two slices (laughs) of Kraft American cheese while reading the (laughs) comics alone. And I would have the two slices of cheese, which I would fold into the tiniest square as possible and then eat one by one. So that was my ritual while yours was Shakespeare. And I'm just wondering... Why you didn't keep it up? I have a lot of guilt about this, I have to say, because it is such a nice idea. I mean, we sat around the six of us at the breakfast table. We had full course breakfasts with protein. We'd have eggs and, you know, often my mom would have Zabar's bagels shipped in. Your mom shipped bagels <laughs> from Zabar's to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She, she did. Yeah. We had a lifetime supply of Zabar's bagels in our freezer. Do you think people can tell everything there is to know about us based on our childhood breakfast rituals? Only if they reverse them now, right? You're much more likely to have a a well-balanced, healthy meal, and I'm far more likely to throw Kellogg's Raisin Bran into a bowl. Does that make us rebels? I think so. And I think that actually also explains what happened to the breakfast time reading. We never sat down, the four of us, to breakfast. So that was part of it. And also, I really did like the idea of having the girls choose what they wanted to read and snuggling up with them and Mm -hmm. reading that way. Yeah. So then Ella asked you another question I'm sure you were delighted to answer. Ella asked Julie what kinds of books she loves to read. And here's what Julie said. I love character-driven books. I tend to love a nice multi-generational family saga. I like really thoughtful memoirs. I like narrative nonfiction with a really compelling story. So I need both compelling story, but I need to have complicated multidimensional characters. So if a book is too plot driven without really having at its heart the characters, I'm not going to like it. And you've mentioned a few books that you've most loved, such as Middlemarch. Wizard of Earthsea, Olive again, 
Celeste Ung. Quite a lot of different types of books there. Yeah, Olive again is the sequel to Olive Cage, which I loved too. Wizard of Earthsea and Middlemarch both remind me if it's a particularly thought-provoking book. I love that. Yeah. So do you enjoy rereading books? Do you go back to books that you read when you were younger? I love rereading books, especially in a chaotic time. I find it very comforting because I know that I'm going to love it and find something new. And yes, if I love the characters, then I love seeing them again. Yeah, I'm a big rereader. Yeah. Do you go back as far as childhood for rereading? I do. I write children's books. So I I reread favorite children's books all the time. Catherine Patterson is a favorite of mine. I love, of course, Bridge to Terabithia, but my favorite of hers is actually Jacob Have I Loved. Mm, I haven't read that one. You might like that. Yes, I will certainly go back to favorite. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because I'm a big believer in rereading as well. And I think it's one of the loveliest things about books is that they can be a time-traveling machine for you by giving you the opportunity to revisit your younger self. So if you reread a book that you first read when you were eight or 15, when you read it again, you go back to Mm. being that person, feeling the feelings you felt when you were eight or 15. But with the overlay of the wiser, mature self that you now have. So tell me about your work, Julie. You're a children's book writer. I am. um, And when you're writing your own books, do you still read other people's books? Or do you find that if you're reading other people's books, that 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 invades your own writing? I do read other people's books and it fluctuates in the early stages often. I feel like I need to read a lot of books in that genre to get my feet firmly in that way of writing. And then I have to stop because as soon as I've found the voice that I want to use, I don't want to lose it. So I won't continue to read books in that genre, but I will read books in other genres. And it's very hard sometimes to find the right book because it has to be something that I feel inspires me and motivates me to write, sort of puts me in the right headspace. It's a Goldilocks situation. It can neither be too close nor too far from what I'm trying to do on the page. Yeah. So moving on to your personal life, do you have any particular preoccupations at the moment? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a lot of, of course, fear right now. There's a lot of uncertainty because of the coronavirus and in terms of everyone's health and being at risk and financial issues as well. And in general, I struggle a bit with anxiety. So Uh, I struggle with feeling like I want to control things that I can't always control. I struggle with uncertainty and I struggle with worries. And those are all in play greatly at the moment. Yes, absolutely. And also, how about family life right now? Because you must be all under one roof. We are under one roof. And I have two children, who one of whom had to come home from college. So she should be you know, really living in her own space and really developing her life very separate from us and instead is stuck with us. And I have a high school senior who similarly should be preparing herself to move on and instead is under our thumb much more than Mm -hmm. she would otherwise be. And that's 
hard and we've had to adjust and we're doing okay. But, you know, there are the kind of usual tensions that you might expect from yeah. situation. Yeah, absolutely. So I could now give you some ideas for prescriptions of books you could read. Unless, was there anything else that you wanted to mention in terms of issues currently going on? Or no, let's get to the books. <laughs> okay, cool. So for anxiety, do you know a book called The Man Who Planted Trees? No. By Giorgio. It's a, he's a French writer. And it's a book that you read and treasure and it stays in your mind forevermore. And it's about a man who comes back from the war to find his immediate surroundings is all devastated and there's nothing growing. And he plants acorns around the countryside. That is it, basically. That is the story. But it's <laughs> it's very beautifully written and it's like a kind of fable. And you go through his story and you realise that he is probably a traumatised person. And he's healing himself by healing the countryside and it's just a really lovely fairy tale like book for adults oh, with beautiful great. woodcut illustrations and it's deeply soothing and great for calming your anxiety somehow it's one of those magical books so that's one i would definitely recommend then another great one which is really good for anxiety and stress is a book you might have read in high school, Shane by Jack Schaefer. Have you read that? I don't think I have read that. I've heard of it, but I don't think I've read it. It's kind of an American cowboy classic, but I think it might actually be that it's more popular in the UK than it is in the States because I've mentioned it to a few people in the States who don't know it. So maybe it was just really big in the UK for some reason. I would probably think cowboy classic, oh, you know, I, I'm not, that's not, not my favourite genre. But there's just something about this novel. It's really a kind of YA, although it was written before YA existed. And it's about a family where everything is kind of going a bit wrong. They're all slightly awry and not very happy and living in the middle of nowhere. And then Shane, the cowboy... <laughs> Drives in <laughs> on his black horse, all dressed in black with his black cowboy hat. And he is the kind of epicenter of calm. He's really cool. And he sorts everything out with his amazing calm demeanor. And he's this sort of really enigmatic character. And everyone loves him. And the kind of arc of the story is Shane being this calm presence who semi-miraculously sorts out all their problems but I always tell people to channel Shane so once, <laughs> you've, once you've read it then you just think okay I need to be more Shane and then all problems seem quite small and handleable uh <laughs> fabulous this is a new side of the cowboy that I haven't really thought about I haven't thought a lot about cowboy I don't usually think of them as solving problems through kind of a, a Zen-like quality. No, me too. That's why it's so unusual, because he is a bit like a Zen master, this character. But it's really good. I'd love to hear how you get on with that. And then another one that I think is also really good for worry and anxiety 
is a lovely book called The Dud Avocado. Have you the heard of Dud that? Avocado? Yeah. <laughs> it's by Elaine Dundee. And it was written, I think, in the 60s. It's another older book. And it's about a, a girl who is sent to Paris by her uncle, age 22, to have a great time. He has an inheritance and he says, go and spend this money, live in Paris for two years. All you have to do is send me reports back and tell me how you're getting on. And so she sends him letters and tells him what's happened. And she starts off being quite an anxious person and kind of not really knowing what she's going to do in Paris. And then she starts having a really good time and it's really fun. And you just see her adventures of what she's doing in Paris. And it's a very lighthearted, lovely book. And I think it would be perfect for reading at this time when everyone's a bit anxious and nervous. And I could go on with more. We have some time if you want to keep going. That's good. Have <laughs> oh, you God. ever read Rebecca by Daphne oh, Poirier? One of my favorites. I love Rebecca. Isn't that fantastic? I, really I, I read Rebecca and think, how could I write something like this? And I fail utterly. But yes, I, that's a wonderful yeah, isn't it great? So Rebecca is a book in which the unnamed heroine begins her life. She's quite young. She's only about 18, I think, with very little self-belief, self-respect and knowledge of herself. And as the book goes on, we, the reader, evolve with her and we become with her far more sure of ourselves as she becomes sure of herself. I think it's a book in which you completely take on the character's characteristics of the main character yourself and you really become her as one does with all the best books. And although it does have sinister elements and it's by no means all positive, it's a really amazing book for kind of giving you confidence in a strange way. So, I never thought about the book that way, but yes, I can see that entirely. I might have to reread it. After my new reads, maybe I'll reread that one. That's fabulous. Excellent. Yeah. And then Marilyn Robinson. Have you yes. read her? Yes, I have. I love her. Which she, one were you thinking? Yeah. I was thinking of Gilead because I think that is a book which has amazing moments of calm and quiet beauty yes. in which she just catches a moment like a feather falling through the dust in a room. and reflects on that in amazing detail and the effect of the writing and the imagery is incredibly calming. That reminds me of another book that I've just read, which I absolutely love and has been really getting me through this moment of lockdown. Do you know Jojo Moyes? She I wrote do. Me Before You was her famous yes. book. Yes. So her latest book, The Giver of Stars, that is a really lovely book about horseback librarians in Kentucky. And I think it's set probably in about 1890. And it's just fantastic because it's all about these women who go out to remote farmsteads carrying books on horseback and giving them as a library service to people to read. And it's about all the dramas that unfold because they're doing that, because lots of the men hate the fact that they're going out. It's actually full oh. of drama, but it's also 
all about books and the joy of books and the joy of giving books. It's actually a fantastic book club book as well. Are you actually in a book club, Julie? No. Oh, is it not something that appeals to you? I love the idea of a book club. I felt in the past that being forced to read something because someone else reads it just hasn't worked for me. But I like the idea of exploring other ideas for ways to shape a book club. I've been talking to people, particularly over the last couple of weeks, about having a virtual book club, even just with one other person, and to decide to read the same book at the same time and then discuss it. Yes, I think if there were a smaller number of people, especially if there were just one, we would be more likely to select a book that I actually wanted to read then. Yes, I like that idea a lot. Can I be your only one other person book club member? Oh, please. (laughs) That'll be so fun. I think we should read Shane first. What do you think? I would love to read Shane first. I felt excited about Shane listening. In fact, I think it might be fun for us to try a bunch of her suggestions, and then maybe we can do an episode, just the two of us, where we talk about how the therapy went. I love that idea. So how did you feel during the session, after the session? Was it therapeutic for you to have this conversation? I think it's been a long time since I felt so excited about something. Wow. In the middle of the pandemic, to have someone give you this great list of books to read that might help, that's really positive and exciting. I almost don't care if I love the books or not. Just the prospect of reading them and seeing how I like them and assessing them with you, isn't that exciting? That is exciting. And I think the key thing that you just said there was that might help, right? Because there are all kinds of books. You could call me, I could give you book suggestions. You know, everyone gives everybody book suggestions and that's wonderful. We talked about that with Jim Mustick. But the idea that this is a list of books that are going to help with where you are now emotionally. Okay, so we're committing to trying some of Ella's therapy suggestions and then reporting back to our listeners. We hope everyone is excited and please be sure to let us know if there's another book-related topic that you wondered about and we'll try looking into it in a future episode. You can reach us at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at bookdreamspod and on Instagram at bookdreamspodcast. You can find Ella on Twitter as at ellerbertu. That's E-L-L-A-B-E-R-T-H-O-U-D. Many thanks to our associate producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find me at juliesternberg.com. And you can find me at eveohallam.com. Happy book dreaming, everyone. Happy book dreaming. Love, come listen to Book Dreams with Julie and me.